and welcome back, imposters, to the You're Not Qualified podcast. My name is Courtney Heater, and I'm your host. This is episode number 20, the big two zero. Damn, that is so cool. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you for coming back. If this is not the first episode that you've listened to, and thank you for lending me your ears for around an hour every week, give or take. I know sometimes they draw out, but you know, I really like talking to people and asking a lot of questions. Thank you so much for joining if this is your first time here. The You're Not Qualified podcast is all about asking people questions of why they're not qualified traditionally for what they're doing now. And then we dive deep into what they are doing now to add some beef to it. And it's really exciting conversations usually, and it's a deep dive into imposter syndrome and believing in yourself and that you can really do anything that you set your mind to. We talk a lot about transferable skills. We talk a lot about asking for what you're worth, understanding when a career path is not for you, trying to get on the right track, all of that good stuff. So this is just a little cut in to my cut in, but I don't know if you heard that little noise there that sounded like far off, something maybe rubber falling. My puppy got into the shoe rack and they all fell down. Uh, He seemed to be okay though, and he did have one as his prize. So I guess it was earned, but then swiftly taken away from him. You know, we we can't celebrate everything here. That's not how the world works. Okay, back to it. I am so stoked for today's episode and next week's episode. So this is gonna be our first two-parter. This is episode part one this week. Episode part two is going to come out next Thursday. These episodes will be all about being qualified to work in AI technology, that is artificial intelligence technology. An intelligence organization that fears intelligence historically not awesome. So today first we are chatting with the director of product at Wild Me which is an AI tech conservation company. Tanya is an incredible representation of the value of transferable skills, asking a lot of questions and knowing when your career desires expand beyond your current role that you have now. We talk all about going after your passions, even without a traditional background to do those things that you want to do, excelling while wearing multiple hats. She wears tons of hats at Wild Me because they are a 20-person team, AI's role and potential in conservation, and much more. And she's really, really cool. I like her a lot. We've been acquaintances, hoping to become good friends for about two years now, maybe a little bit longer than that. So this hopefully will be a window into how cool she is and also a window into showing you your own potential if you ever want to work in AI tech because that is a lot of industry's future. We are heading that direction as the world develops technologically. So there is a room for you. There's a spot for you at the table in AI tech, in conservation, in whatever the heck you want to do. All right, are you ready? Let's go. Guys, I'm bringing the party to you. So today we are talking with Tanya Steer. Oh, you know what? I actually don't know if I ever asked you if that's your pronunciation. That's the right way. Okay, (laughs) perfect. Director of product at Wild Me. Thank you so much for coming on the You're Not Qualified podcast. I'm so excited you're here. I'm happy to be here, although mildly terrified. So fingers crossed. (laughs) Is this your first podcast? Yes. Nobody's asked you to be on one before? That's shocking to me. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's awesome. You're brand new here. I'm still new to it. This is like the 20th interview I've done. Mm. So fingers crossed. It'll be fine. (laughs) I know what I'm doing. I'm by no means an expert. All right. So kind of the point though, that like, this is, yeah, that's a good point. I'm not qualified at all. None of us are, but we're still doing it. (laughs) Uh, I love to start the episodes with just that why the guest is traditionally not qualified for the role that they currently have in your career, their career. So you don't have the typical background of a product leader, yes. college degree, et cetera, but you're still the director of product at an AI conservation company. How do you feel about it? 
so when you say it out loud, it gets scary, but most days it feels perfectly normal that this is where I am and how I got here. And it's one of those where if you follow it backwards, it all makes perfect sense. It's just when you look at the whole picture, that's terrifying and I probably shouldn't be doing my job. Cool. <laughs> I knew I could do it, so I did it. Other people are just so much more qualified. It feels, yeah, like it should be someone who knows something about animals doing this at the very least. You say as you have a cat on your lap. I don't know anything about him. <laughs> I just try to feed him. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Um, you did do a BA in writing. Yeah, mostly. Okay. So I was non-traditional in that also. I started out Excellent. wanting to teach theater ed. And then I realized I'd have to spend my time around theater people. So I switched to English education. I did. So most of my degree is an English education degree. And then I realized that the bureaucracy of teaching in the American public school system was not something that I could handle personally and have any sort of mental health. So I, I switched to computer science because I had made friends with a bunch of nerds and they were like, you should do that. And I sucked at math. So I was like, I'm going to go to my counselor and ask how I can get out of school because I've been here a really long time. And they were like, so you can have a lit degree or a professional technical writing degree. And that's about it. And I was like, one of those sounds like I'll get a job. Let's do the professional technical writing. <laughs> so I did that for a year. And that's all of the writing that was actually associated with my degree. <laughs> Oh man, I love how relevant the, you can do a lit degree or you can do creative, the technical writing. I chose the lit degree because <laughs> I didn't want a job with the literature. And I was just like, this is something I think is fun right now. I'll worry about a job later and mm. worry about a job later. I did, but <laughs> it worked out. Okay. Obviously right. I have a house and I can feed myself, but we all get through it. I'm curious about bit that you said you have to hang out with theater kids because computer science kids are nerds and theater kids are nerds what kind of different nerd are they it's a specific stage of theater kid when you're dealing with the theater kids who just got into theater college where they think they're the bomb they're like i've done it i'm here to pursue my art and i'm like bro you're just as good as you were last summer when you didn't get the lead in your high school play. Can we be chill? I know who I am. I'm a dude playing a dude disguised as another dude. No? All right, I can't. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. It is yeah. like you are not getting cast in the next huge TV show. Let's just take a step yeah. back. We're all still like, learning. We all like Tom Stoppard. You're not cool for knowing Rosencrantz and Gilda Stern are dead. Like, <laughs> we were all those kids, and now we're all here. So, yeah. <laughs> Join the ranks. So what is your role now at Wild Me, and how is the company working to further conservation? Tiny team. Everybody's got 20 hats. What my role is at this exact moment, I am the voice of product. I am the engineering manager. I am the project manager. I work with documentation, UX design, and community support. And I help with operations stuff. And I'm the Jira witch. That's the other thing I do. Jira witch. Yes. Dear Mr. Potter, we are pleased to inform you that you have been accepted at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. I perform magic. There are things that should not be accomplishable through their UI that I am able to just. I love that. We need <laughs> to talk more about that because that's incredible. I could probably safely assume that most everybody that listens to this podcast might have heard about Jira or even works with Jira. But just so we're being inclusive here, Jira is a issue tracking product it was developed by Atlassian, and it allows for bug tracking and agile project management. So you track all of your team's bugs there, however big your team is. And then when you are working on one, you move it into in progress from there, and then you can move it to done. It's kind of like a Kanban board where everybody is 
able to work together collaboratively and see when something's being worked on. And then also you have a backlog of things too. So everything that needs to be worked on as well. And then a lot of teams will split out all of the work in JIRA into the sprints and that is your progress board. So your sprint is, these are the cases or the tickets I'm working on in JIRA for this next two weeks. And so they are in the up and coming slot and then you move them to in progress and then done and then go into your backlog and pull more in. So it's just a way to all work together on usually software bugs, things that you would encounter when users are using your product. God, that's a lot of hats. Which one's your favorite so far? Uh, Voice of product and UX design are my top two in terms of getting to check the thing off. I did the thing. Hey, cool. I made software. In terms of if I only had one hat, if I got shoved down into a single box, it would be engineering manager. I love my team. I love helping them do better. I really care about like the career trajectory stuff, making sure people are satisfied, making sure people have work-life balance. Every one-on-one, I ask, are you happy? Are you healthy? Are you safe? And then we figure out how to make sure the answer to all of that is yes. And then we care about productivity. That's what management should be. Yeah, I 100% agree. My my current manager is really excellent at that. And it makes all the difference in the world. Like it really does that you first. And then it's the, are you excited about what you're working on? Because if you're not excited about it, then you probably shouldn't be working on it because you're not going to produce excellent work anyways. So. And yeah, understanding that is something that I feel like is a disconnect for a lot of management. That's awesome. When what? and then working to further conservation. You had oh a part yeah, two to that. yeah, yes. So what we do, we make software that removes drudgery from conservation work. There's tons of data, but processing it can take a long time. You have to spend some of your grant money towards the time that it takes to process it. You're doing it manually. A lot of stuff. It's done in really archaic ways because people haven't been able to test ways to do it safer or faster or whatever. And we're trying to eliminate those gaps. Our flagship product is Wildbook. And Wildbook is for marker capture studies where you take pictures of animals and then you compare them to known pictures of animals where you, you've you either cited them enough that you know their pattern or you have a tag where you've been able to like prove that this is the same animal, that kind of thing. Um, Historically, people have had to look at giant picture books of hundreds of animals and hold the pictures up next to each other and go, is this the same whale? And if it's not, then they go to the next one, then the next, and that's how they used to do it. We have a couple of different algorithms that do that comparison and suggest like the top 15. And then you look at those 15 with the computer's estimations of this is why these might be the same animal. And it can make it go from an hour for a single animal comparison to five minutes. We will talk even more about Wild Book in next week's episode and a little bit more in this episode. But Tanya did describe what it does. And just to tie it in a little bowl for you, Wild Book is Wild Book Image Analysis. And it's a computer vision program for analyzing photos of animals and answering important biological questions. And this is right from um, Googling Wild Book, Wild Me, and then it's a document from wildme.org. So it aims to detect animals in photographs, label their species, and identify which individual animals they are. So who they are, what they are, and where they are in the world. And it's really helpful for then storing that data to later assess it and understand, is the population larger this year than it was last year? So there's tons of other things that it can answer, but that's just a a very small snippet of exactly what Wild Book is and the really cool things that it's trying to answer. Very cool. The one that we're working on now that isn't released, but I'm stupid excited about, it's low-key going to be called Scout. We're not 100%, but it's for aerial surveys. And Mm. um, how aerial surveys are done right now, you have two people sit in the back of an airplane and they look out the window and they count the animals. And then they write it down. The margin Um, of error for these ways is astonishing. Yes, you are not wrong. Um, (laughs) That's also really unsafe because they have to fly very low. 
in order mm. for people to be able to reasonably see and flying low and slow is the most dangerous way to fly an airplane. Mm. And since we've taken on this project, we've known people who have passed from crashes. Like it's really, like really unsafe. There are ways to do it where you mount cameras, but you end up with hundreds of thousands of pictures and most of them are empty. It's not like the animals all gather up and they're like, hi, I'm here. So they, uh, those, they take forever to process. By the time that you've gotten through all the data, it's already past the point where a government would be interested in making decisions based off of it. So we've developed a way to process the images to kick out everything that you're reasonably confident doesn't have an animal in it. And then you're able to condense your focus onto the pictures that do which can take it from 500,000 to 10,000 pictures. And that outrageously saves you time and effort and people looking at things going cross-eyed. You can be more rigorous because you can have people like go through and do double passes, that kind of thing. And it means that you can fly the plane higher because cameras Mm -hmm. have zoom. And like the fact that this could make life better and safer and everything for a bunch of people who are trying to do good work is that's the ideal. Yeah. And more productive. If they can do it faster, they can do more. Yeah. That's awesome. Can I ask why not drones rather than planes? We'll work with drones also, but so drones, you have the the photography issue and Mm -hmm. historically this, like, this is a practice that started back before drones were a widespread popular. I don't even know if they were a thing at all. This is how I'm pretty sure it's Kenya has been using the RSO system for since the seventies. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that's a great step in the right direction for conservation. Yeah. That's very exciting. I know that you do a lot of things, but you started, correct me if I'm wrong, as a product manager. Is that right? At Wild Wild? Me? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. How did you discover that you loved product management? When did you discover? It was the last company I worked at, Alteryx. I was very deeply unsatisfied with the job that I had, but I was very good at it. So they were like, hey, you're talented and capable. We want to keep you around and keep you happy. How do we do that? And I was like, I don't know. So they had me shadow a bunch of stuff. And I actually tried program management first. And It seemed interesting and I actually did that professionally for three months before I realized that everything that I was doing as a program manager was actually product management. It's happening. I was just doing it for cross capable or cross team functionality. And I brought that up with my manager and she was like, yeah, I noticed and have been talking about where we should put you on the product team. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Then I ended up becoming a a TPM, a technical product manager. And I loved it. It was figuring out the UX and really learning your product and figuring out how it was going to serve your use case or not. And it was a lot of empathy with people you've never met, which is a hard thing to do, but is really fun. And when you nail it, it's just, I know, it's cool. So Tanya didn't directly say that when she was in that role where she was deeply unhappy, that she actually spoke up and said she was deeply unhappy. But I'm assuming that they kind of caught on because they're like, hey, we want to keep you in this role and we want to keep you happy or we want to keep you in the company and we want to keep you happy. How can we do that? And they started testing out different roles. And that's kind of where she understood that she really liked to do something else. And she was actually very good at doing something else. So I think this is a great time to say, hey, if you feel like in your current role, you are being underutilized or you are bored out of your flipping mind, or if you are deeply unhappy, shit, this is your moment. This is your shining a sign, if you will. Is it possible that there are no coincidences? That it's time to talk to your manager about it. It's time to talk to yourself about it and see if there are opportunities elsewhere in the company or elsewhere outside of the company if you are you know, thinking about expanding beyond that. But if you're not, then there's probably something in the company that you can at least explore. Just ask. Ask to see if there's something else that you can try. And I could almost guarantee that you might have a similar conversation. And if it's not a similar conversation, then you have even more reason to look elsewhere. 
because you deserve to be valued, period, end of story, end of story. So I asked Tanya after that, okay, so you get into technical product management and you realize that you do love it. She loves figuring out the UX and learning the product, but where did conservation come into play? I was very curious. So that was the next question here. So I'm one of those incredibly blessed and probably doesn't deserve the job that I have kind of people. I decided on Portland and I applied for jobs that were in Portland. Um, And it was down to this one or one that was actually in Seattle, but I could have been mostly remote and just gone up like once a month or so. Pre-COVID had a really killer fusion dance scene. So I was like, cool, I'll get to go dance once a month. That's fine. Then I flew out here and I met the team and it was the team that sold me. Um, I care passionately about sustainability. I care passionately about conservation in regards to utilizing our resources the best we can, having stable ecosystems. I'm working on like the garden kind of thing and building into the natural ecosystem here. But I'm definitely adjacent to conservation in terms of what I'm passionate about, Mm -hmm. which I think is a huge benefit because I don't get blinded by the, you know, particular species I care about or the thing that I like the the particular path of conservation that is most beneficial, I think. Instead, I get to be empathetic towards my users and what they know is working and know that what they're doing fits into my bigger passion. But I buy in, but I'm not blinded by being in the weeds. Yeah. So your TPM transition uh, was like the introduction into product. What kind of hurdles did you hit? Like, what did your transition look like? So biggest hurdles were, I was a workhorse as a tech writer and they Mm. had to hire a couple of people to replace me. So that long and arduous and frustrating process, the, cause everybody agreed that I should be doing something else and everybody, but like, we just, we had to, we hired a person and then that wasn't enough. So we hired another person and yeah. Did you have Um, to train these people? I helped train them. Okay. Um, but it was also just like helping figure out which teams they needed to pair with. And there was, there was a lot of coordination around cat. You never play with jingle toys and you pick now. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) he hasn't touched that thing in months. That's very cute. Does this get her attention? (laughs) Um, But that was the biggest, most frustrating hurdle. The next thing was when I had decided product is the way to go, they wanted me to work on one particular area and I was more interested in a different one. And so there was a lot of back and forth regarding the interviewing and we want you over here. And I was like, no, I'm good. And then they like eliminated the position I wanted. And I was like, oh, if you're just going to not have it, that was a lot. In terms of getting into the product mindset, the hardest thing was letting go of the tech writing of it. Like the tech writers would come to me and they'd be like, so we're writing up the thing. And I'd be like, that's trash and I don't have time to rewrite it. So I'm going to say it's fine. Um, you're new. It'll get better. <laughs> um, that was really hard. That was painfully hard. And the first couple of times I did not do a good job of it. I was like, that's, can you send me that and I'll fix it for you? And they were like, Tanya. And I was like, I know, but I'm a control freak. And I redline this shit out of it. I finally, one of them came and talked to me and was like, you're really controlling. And I'm like, that's a fair that's a fair assessment. Thank and you for the will, feedback. Yeah, I will work on that. So I actually, I, I finally let go at that point. And I was just like, okay, this will be fine. But then the next thing it was, I had a very different relationship with UX. And that was hard to figure out. That's one of the reasons why UX is so fun for me now is because I had to work so hard to figure out what that looked like from the other side. Because tech writing, like the UX is already there. Like you get pulled in up front and they're like, would this work? Could you put words here? And you're like, yeah, here's an approximation. We'll finalize later. And then you wander off and then you come back when it's built. And like, it's a much closer relationship where you're focused on entirely different aspects of like 
number of clicks and confusion and pathing and all of this stuff. And having to like argue with a UX person who is infinitely more qualified than me about something where I'm just like, I understand why you think it works that way. And I understand that I don't have the language to articulate why the user is expecting something different, but I'm going to beat my head against this wall until you understand. It was rough, but it was good. It was one of those, like, it helped me empathize with strangers better at that point. So, I do have to say, it says a lot about your working style and your approachability. If somebody literally comes up to you and says that you're difficult to work with, or you're <laughs> like, you're being controlling, because that's not easy. That's not an easy conversation, but a lot of people would rather avoid. <laughs> That's true. That means I'm either a monster and it's worth <laughs> broaching that, or that I'm relatively chill and they understand I'm not going to be a jerk about it. There's a monster in your chest. I hope it's the second. Yeah, verdict um, is out. We'll see. But part of it is like anyone who I've worked with and I've had conflict with, I try to have the, how do you like to have conflict? conversation if someone really needs it to be like written out in a three paragraph format of this is what the problem is this is how I feel this is my interpretation of what you feel can we meet in the cafeteria two days from now when you've had time to process true story person <laughs> greatly preferred that and I'm like super not that person <laughs> um, but it made it better for her and I was like conflict's that hard for you let me help and she and I went from having a gratingly awful working relationship to getting along okay it made me realize how valuable that conversation is and once you've had that conversation going one direction they tend to be pretty respectful of doing it the other way and i would much rather you just walk up and tell me i'm a control and paint the butt so she did wow good. yeah that's super good for her that actually makes me think about my own confrontation style and i'm absolutely more like her where and i'm <laughs> And I've had like bosses ask me about it because something happens. I'm like, I need two hours. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to feel sorry for myself. And then I'm going to come back and we can talk. But I'm like, I really need time to feel sorry for myself. That's my main one. Even <laughs> if I did something wrong, I'm like, I just need the time to cry. And then I'm all back. <laughs> but I don't think it's completely fair response. If you need time to cry, you need time to cry. Yeah. As long as we're not on a crunch, like... I might ask you to hold the cry, but we can also hold the conversation. That's some feedback I got too. It's okay. Can you store that away and do it in an hour? Cause we need to do this. And I'm like, oh, yes, <laughs> I'm going to be okay. I'm an adult here, but yeah. confrontation style is also not something everybody knows what theirs is either. So that's cool that you like dive in. Yeah. Let's, you know, that whole empathizing with people, empathizing with strangers. That's why the manager thing is so fun for me because everybody on my team is completely different like outrageously absurdly and it's fun figuring out what they need and helping them figure out what they need and being like have you had a lot of coffee today do you need to maybe eat and numb out some of that caffeine might be a good call <laughs> is that kind of day yes this is that kind of day cool <laughs> do you need second lunch hey you want to bump into me on Saturday around lunchtime? Because it's a second lunch kind of day. Yep. <laughs> Two lunches. The technical writer aspect of your background then, you've mentioned it a couple times where it's, you do have to stifle it sometimes, but how has that helped you in navigating your roles now? If you cannot write out the process of using your product is too complicated. Mm. It is a primary guiding principle. I'm going to put that everything. in bold in my, <laughs> my current position. <laughs> I support it. I think everyone should use it as a guiding light because there are so many times, like, you know, Google is considered a standard in a lot of ways. And a lot of their stuff, I read their documentation. And I'm like, that got me about two thirds of the way there. Maybe someone should take a look at that. And <laughs> um, so that's one. Having introductory material is critical. You will always spend more time onboarding than you would writing onboarding material. And it's just something that every small team blows off. They're like, nobody has time. We're too busy onboarding. And like, just let Billy sit and then hand Billy the documentation. It'll be great. I promise. And then this is something that I learned as a technical writer 
that was not something I was taught to do. It was something that I started doing because I have a horrible fear of being a burden to anyone else. And I feel like I have to prove myself constantly. And because of that, I was like, I'm going to learn everything about the product that there is to know. And that way I never have to ask the question and I can just do the writing and will be great. Um, and at that point, I started actually being able to file bugs and figure out like, hey, this finance formula that we wrote is different than the Excel formula. And that's why people keep thinking it's broken and just stuff like that's all over the place. And I got to the point where I was like, oh, that's the critical bit. That's the, the un, like, you have to touch the thing. It doesn't matter how much you read about it. It doesn't matter, like, how many engineers you talk to, how much information gets put into your head by users. If you don't touch the tool, you will never know what it is. And I honestly think that if it hadn't been for that crippling, crushing fear, I probably never would have gotten into product because I would have just let people tell me what the thing did and wrote it down, worried about the comments. Mm -hmm. Rather than getting in and getting your feet wet. Top notch advice here. And even if you're not getting into product, like you are, you know, trying to get into product and then you're like, oh, I should probably use the product before the interview or something like that. If you have serious fears about actually doing a job, really any job, and you're like, I don't understand how to explain it back if I read about it, right? Like, could I teach somebody else if I read about it? That's a good indication that I really understand this. If I don't feel confident enough to teach somebody else because they don't even know where to start, then I suggest just trying to use whatever it is. So if you are going for a customer service position at a company, and you are trying to understand their processes or exactly how a portion of their product works to say, if you get the job, talk through somebody on the phone, like how to do a certain thing on the website, for example, and you're just not sure, then use the product as a customer. And you can even speak about that if you happen to get an interview or if you're brand new to a company and you are not sure where to start, use the product, get deep in there, find documentation that you can internally on how to use it and just trial it. If you can create a test account, if it's a technology company and just try out different things, see if they have a dummy credit card even, and you can go through purchase processes. A lot of companies have that. So there's a bunch of different ways to try to crush that anxiety, that shit, I don't know what I'm doing and I don't have any clue what the hell this is. Just get in there, get your feet wet, use the product, and it makes you a better product professional if that's the career path that you're interested in. It yeah. sounds a lot like imposter syndrome to me. Oh, sure. Also, I was coming off of six months of being unemployed, and mm. so I very much had that, like, I had to empty out my retirement account. Please keep giving me money thing. Um, <laughs> it's fine. It all worked out. It's good. But I definitely had a very strong prove myself kick. And then there was a small amount of other people were going slow. And so I thought I was missing something. And then I figured out that no, they were just slow. And But at that point, I had already done all the work and figured a bunch of stuff out. Like I legitimately, I got to my 90 day performance review and got called into my manager's office and was absolutely convinced that I was going to be like, he was going to be like, okay, so you're not where we want you to be in bed because other people were taking time to do things. And I'm like, this must be way harder than I think it is. And it's just, I'm just missing things. Working hard or hardly working, eh, Mac? And he was like, so we're going to give you a 12% raise. And I was like, oh, no, I did. I got it. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Do you have an example of something where they were taking very slow time and you were like, this is too easy? Release notes is probably a good one. Like you had uh, to go and collect stuff from your team and then you had to condense the entirety of the feature down into one to two sentences. And and I had a wide variety of teams and I was just like, had a, this is what they did. And someone else, they had two or three teams and they took 
a little bit longer than I did with my nine teams. And I was like, is there stuff harder? Am I like missing something? Yeah. It looks like we did the same thing. And I, and then it was just like, no, I just, I played with it more. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we were more organized even. Oh God. She was way more organized. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's not, if you, (laughs) the, the various like Myers-Briggs disc, whatever, all of those, every one of them will tell you that I could not tell you where it left my keys, but I could definitely talk to somebody and get them to help me find my keys <laughs> and be very determined about finding my keys prior to actually needing them. So it works out the same as being organized in terms of having your keys when you need them. It does. It yeah. really does. It's all <laughs> the, the net result is... Yeah. Equal. Yeah. But a lot of it just came down to I worked harder to understand the confusing parts when they said them. And like I would sit there and ask them questions, bug them and bug them. And then I would understand the thing. So I wouldn't have to bug them next. I didn't understand anything about driver installation when I started there. I was like, what's a driver? Is and that then- putting somebody in a car and behind the wheel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That exactly. Um, Seems easy. (laughs) No, there were the particular thing that I'm thinking of it, it, you had to update a driver in order to run the latest version of something on Windows. And it broke our stuff when Windows updated. And so Mm. I had to write an appropriate Mm. error message and I had to figure out like how to tell someone to go to Windows to download a thing, to do a thing. And I had to write instructions for if you had admin rights on your computer versus not, because most of our people didn't, because it's a work program. So a lot of IT stuff has it locked down. And and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And we have three days because this got announced right before our release. And my team's panicking and I'm panicking. (laughs) And But like, I just kept bugging them until I understood it. So... The next time we had a thing that involved drivers, I was like, oh, cool. So we need to go here, find this website, put that link. And I never had to bug anyone again. So Learn. Got to learn. That's awesome. It's like completely learning on your toes. One thing that has stuck with me since we met. So I know that you and I talked, oh God, was it a year ago? Like we've Something like that. Longer than that. Yeah. But I I got in touch with you because you basically have my dream job. And I was like, how did you do it with your background? (laughs) And then one thing that stuck with me that you said was that part of your success is you never walk away without completely understanding what the issue is or something to that effect. And even if you have to ask question after question and say, I still don't get it. You need to still explain it to me. You always make sure you never walk away, not knowing what the problem is. And I'm like, that is, I basically like live by those words. Now I just needed to say that because I can only imagine how much that's helped you. Oh, it's fantastic. How often that has been the thing that has saved my butt. I can't even begin. Now I will say, I do occasionally with the hats, as previously um, mentioned, there are times when I don't have time at this point. And I'm like, is this something that I need to understand? Or are there enough people in the room who understand it, who can make a decision? And they're like, enough people know. And I'm like, cool, I'm going to go do the six other things. Have fun. And <laughs> there was recently a Kubernetes discussion where I was like, I don't, I refuse to believe that I need to understand this. Does anyone here believe I need to understand this? And everyone's no. And I'm like, cool. Not wasting my brain space on it then. Yeah. We don't need to know Kubernetes for our job. So we might as well just, you know, take some time to learn the very, very, very surface level of what this is, because I had never heard that word before she said it. And actually, when I was editing this, I was like, Kubernetes, I wonder if I'm just mishearing that. But no, Kubernetes, K-U-B-E-R-N-E-T-E-S, is an open source container orchestration system. All right. All right. That like, even then I'm like, Tanya, I get it. You sit down and they're like, okay, we're going to talk about Kubernetes today. She gets that description and she's like, do I need to know this? No. Okay. Then, because that's actually how I feel right now after I read this, but we're going to keep going. So is an open source container orchestration system for automating software deployment, scaling, and management. 
So it automates scaling software. Okay. <laughs> yep, don't get it. All right, look it up, guys, if you want to get it more. But sorry for wasting your time there. Hmm. Absolutely. So, Knowing which is... room you need to be in, what table you need to be at. Yeah, I've gotten much better about identifying that. Yeah. Let's like switch gears into AI a little bit more because it's fascinating. AI is everywhere. It's at the grocery store. It's in conservation, right? Mm -hmm. What are the main benefits bringing AI to conservation? Reduction of wasted time is the big one, as mm -hmm. mentioned. And then I, I hate this answer, but it's true. I hate that the answer is true. That's by bringing AI to conservation, you are able to focus buzzword money on conservation and get people like venture capitalists to oh, care. That feels really icky. It does, but it's very accurate. We've gotten Bitcoin donations before because people are like, oh, hey, cool, you're doing AI with conservation. And they did not care at all about the mission, but they it helps. <laughs> yeah. Is there space for NFTs in conservation? Well, we've actually been approached about that. I personally, so speaking on behalf of Wild Me, there are potentialities down the way, assuming that there could be ways that NFTs could be produced that don't destroy the environment. The Ethereum Consortium, I think that's their name, the one that doesn't do blockchain stuff the way that Bitcoin does. Like Bitcoin is inherently destructive to the environment, takes up more and more energy. Every time that you run the process, like that's the point of it, essentially. Ethereum does it differently and it's significantly less destructive. It is still a high energy consumption thing. So, is a so are a lot of the AI processes. Until those barriers can be overcome, I don't see the point in incorporating NFTs. Mm -hmm. And that's largely the wild me stance. The Tanya stance, no. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> I I really I'm like just at the cusp of understanding NFTs, anyways. So it's Bitcoin too, for that matter. It's like you mine in your computer. Like what? Uh, <laughs> so I can explain NFTs, but I don't think this is the time and place for it. And it will be the snarkiest description you've ever heard we can just leave that yeah yeah uh, that's good but the big thing with ai like the good thing about ai conservation it can reduce the amount of effort and get you to decision making points faster which means that you can iterate on different strategies in a given environment and actually like track changes and you're able to run the study once every three years and then you've got enough data to maybe make a decision and then it takes you another three years to like that's too slow the world's changing too fast you're not gonna be able to save what you're trying to that way yeah it might very well be gone yeah in three years yeah uh, there's there's a lake in tanzania that has 50 species of this one type of fish and they are dying out and they're at varying levels of endangered and they can't get the data right now to figure out how many there are to figure out how many are dying. That's the kind of thing that AI can help with. You could do a grid of camera traps along the bottom and take three days worth of data, do a census study off of them and then try stuff. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. Is, are, is uh, Wild Me helping? At present, that is an effort. One of our subcontractors is trying to get funded mm -hmm. and I am helping him try to find funding. Mm -hmm. Partially because I want to go to Tanzania and help put the cameras at the bottom of the lake because that sounds dope. But um, <laughs> Sure does. Hell yeah. <laughs> but it's such a worthwhile effort and it's really hard to get money in fish for some reason. I'm guessing it's because mm. they're not as charismatic as like a zebra, but it's just, I find that so weird. Like we're pushing for people to eat sustainably when it comes to sea and freshwater resources. And mm -hmm. yet it's hard to get conservation money there. I just, I don't get it. Anyway. It is, it's a weird cuddly, cuddly, what's the word? They're like, 
they prefer. It's a cuddly preference over fish versus mammals in my mm-hmm. mind. Like I have, I have a friend who studied marine biology. She started with fish and in the Pacific Northwest, at least in Washington, salmon are endangered and everything eats the salmon, including our whales and the ones that live here, the residents. And she's, I'm sick of fish. I want to just study mammals. She studies pinnipeds now. And so she's like helping with captures of those and everything. And she's like, fish are just fish. And I'm like, but they're so important. (laughs) Like salmon are the base of the ecosystem. (laughs) Like we need them. But yeah, I guess it's just, they're not cuddly enough. Let us all say the pledge. I am a nice shark, not a mindless eating machine. If I am to change this image, I must first change myself. Fish are friends, not food. Except stinking dolphins. Dolphins? Yeah, they think they're so cute. Oh, look at me, I'm a flipping little dolphin. Let me flip for you, I know something. Did anybody ever find it kind of weird that the sharks in Finding Nemo would say that fish are friends, not food, and they would... Like sharks do eat other fish, but like, you know, that's their, a lot of their food source, but sharks are also fish. So I was very confused about that when I first saw that, but maybe not everybody knows that sharks are also fish, but sharks are fish. They use their gills to filter oxygen from the water. Like they have gills, they're fish, but I guess they also eat fish. Huh. One of the crazy things in the world, huh? I think that's a big part of it. And they're also like the identifiableness. There's a reason why WWF picked the panda. Like you look at that, you're like, that's a panda. There's no question that's a panda. Whereas a fish, like you have to get a lot more specific to identify which fish it is that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's less exciting. Less like, aha. Yeah. I know exactly what to do here. Yeah. The biologist we have on staff, his specialty is ants. And if you want to hear a man rant about lack of funding, man. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Ants are really cool. I want them out of my house, but yeah. Yeah. It's spring in the Pacific Northwest. I've got a vendetta, right? I know. I'm waiting for the little armies to just (laughs) trance right in here. I haven't seen any yet or big spiders, but I think that's a little bit in a couple more months, but They we've got crawl out. Oof. We've got our jumping spiders going right now, and I'm all for it because the ants have just started. But I'm like, they're not coming in this window. We should just breed you and have one of you in every window. <laughs> <laughs> as long as yeah, the, the small jumping spiders, I'm okay with that. Yeah, none of those big wolf spiders. Thank you. For sure. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just such creepy crawlers. Uh, they're so good. I know that they're so good, but they're so creepy. I'm like looking all around for them just because I'm yeah. like summoning them by talking about them. So AI influencing conservation, what do you want to see AI do? And what do you think it's capable of in terms of the evolution of conservation that it just hasn't quite touched yet? So one of the big things that I really want to see is in our specific niche of the video processing and photo processing kind of stuff, camera traps are very difficult for the kind of like visual processing we do because they have the same background and that you have to do really specific exacting background subtraction for them to be like for you to have confidence that they're matching on the animal instead of the same tree that this camera has been sitting in front of for the last week so that's a big one and it gives you a much less invasive way to get in and get animal or get pictures of animals that maybe you shouldn't get too close to. It's really hard to do a a photo study of mountain lions right now because you have to use camera traps or be eaten. And we would rather our scientists not be so nice of you. Most of them. But like the there's a lot of focus on the more chill herbivores right now Mm. because they're not gonna hunt you down on a trail which is great thanks for being chill giraffes i guess they do kick people on occasion but like like, they could kill you but they probably choose not violence yeah and you're also standing far enough away where they're like you're not a meal and there's a leaf over that way i'm just gonna you don't look very leafy but yeah so there's that black and white processing is something that 
like black and white or infrared where there's the the same color over it that has a serious impact on being able to do pattern matching oh yeah um, and i have no idea if that's something that we can solve but i think it would be really cool if we could be able to not have flashes going off in the middle of the night Mm -hmm. and still have it be identifiable. That's pretty significant. Additional ways of doing it, if there was a way to do facial recognition on a bear, because their patterns change, or they're very like same patterny all the time. And then there are some where like patterns change over time. We can't do anything with that because, so if we were able to do it like off of morphology, that would be really cool. Wow. Yeah, that would be fascinating. And then there are things that like, they're identifiable, but they're really like specific because of orientation. Lion whiskers are identifiable, but you have to get like very specific. Are you a lion? Am I a lion? What? I don't think of myself as a lion. You might as well, though. I have a mighty roar. Yeah, the Whoa. pattern you can do. It. Yeah, it's super cool. We're, we're recently working with a group, Link, L-Y-N-C. They do a lion database and they do whisker patterns and it's it's bonkers. Like how anyone thought to try that. And then also they did. But but it, like you have to take the picture from a very specific angle and whatever. So if there is a way to do some sort of modeling that was generated off like a general lion scheme but then you could take the and it would like this is so way far advanced Mm. but that kind of like morphic modeling that it would allow you to do the matching from a slightly wrong angle that would just be super cool man it feels like that's totally something that could happen in the future though like it's just like a step away maybe yeah a leap away five ten years i don't know like and AI is one of those things where like there's no advancements for 20 years and then there are advancements, but they're like, and so I don't know. I think any prediction is just a guess, but yeah. Yeah. I completely understanding the risk factor with this, but for identifying bears, do they happen to have paw prints like human fingerprints? If you see them all and then you go when they leave and collect their paw prints, to identify huh it's probably not safe because they might not actually leave and you think they do and you come out and then there's baby bear and then mama bear's coming back (laughs) oh that's we had a baby go through our campsite once and then the mom came through our campsite and was pissed because Mm -hmm. she could not find the baby because the baby came through and then went out and the mom just stopped and then she heard the baby and was like I'm watching you and then left and we were like that is the luckiest anyone has ever been in all of their life no kidding she like puts her paw up and she's yeah bears are not to be messed with they are terrifying I do know that there are some species where right now the primary way that they do like the count stuff is they have dogs sniff out their poop and then they collect enough scat samples that they're able to do estimations and I just wonder how a dog volunteers for that. That's such a weird skill to be trained into. They have scat dogs for the whales here. Really? U-Dub trains them and they'll put them out in a boat and they'll sniff out poop. That's so In bonkers. the water because it floats. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> Conservation's weird, man. It is. It's, it's bizarre. And it just so is, it's so interesting every day. Never dull. that's factual like the guy who hit us up and he was like so i'm trying to individually identify whales based on audio tracks and we're like i'm sorry could you it's nine in the morning and you're starting with this all right what can we lead with the duncan order or something (laughs) (laughs) wow that's actually fascinating too oh yeah it's very cool. We hope he's very successful. We're totally willing to support audiophiles if he proves to be successful. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Just put it in the book. Like it. <laughs> so what advice do you have for people that kind of want to do what you're doing or along the lines of even a product perspective, not necessarily conservation, but they don't have a science background. First thing is find someone to talk to, to see if you actually want to do it and talk to more than one. One person is never going to be representative and you are not likely to end up at the same kind of company as the person who you're talking to. For example, Courtney, you came and talked to me at my 10 person team and Mm -hmm. where are you now? Mm -hmm. Like, 
So it's always going to be different. But doing that initial, your user research, it's a good way to go. From there, volunteering is a big deal. One of the front-end developer we just hired, we hired her. It's maybe a month from when we reached out to when she joined us because she had volunteered with us a year before and we like her code's already in the product. Let's just see if we get along with her. And Wow. Yeah. Why not? So if you, if there's a place that you want to work and they have volunteer stuff, volunteer, be chill and they will likely remember you and be like, we need someone now. That actually, both of our last two hires were people who had volunteered and then at least a year later they got hired. So that's, that's a big deal. Figuring out how your skills cross apply. The whole resume writing exercise where you try to fit what you've done into the job that you're trying to do. While that feels like marketing nonsense, trying to sell yourself, it's also a great self-analysis period to be like, do you actually have the skills? And then you can identify gaps. Also very important for everyone, everyone, everywhere. Apply to any job, regardless of what percentage of the skills that you think you have. Women are more likely to apply to a job if they have 80%. Men are more likely to apply for the job if the statistics vary, but it's between 40 and 60%. And people are willing to hire you with as little as 20 if you've got the right kind of charisma. So just apply. The worst that happens is they say no. Yeah. Yeah. That's so valuable, especially for the women. We had a, I had a whole episode on transferable skills and it was really touched on that. It's dive deep into what you have done in the past and apply it to what you're doing now. And don't be afraid. Like truly the worst that could happen is you get told no, but then you also have the learning experience of doing it. And then you can know what to work on if you think you do need something else and go take a coding class yep. or just up your skill level too. just fill in the blanks. That's so important. Uh, the other thing, when you do go in for the job and someone asks you like the, the inevitable one thing that you don't know how to do, just say you don't know. Say you're willing to learn. Say that you don't have an answer, but you're excited to hear their perspective. Because that enthusiasm and caring and wanting to be the person that they can ask that question of, but also acknowledging that you're not that, you don't have that right now, that shows a confidence that is worth infinity of the single right answers. Yeah, absolutely. And that's especially scary, I think, for women is saying that we don't know. I think that's scary for everyone at this point, because we've made such an intense culture around, you have to be the right person. You have to know everything. If you like, and I think part of this is the whole, we have all the answers at our fingertips. Most of us aren't used to not knowing something anymore because you can Google it and saying you don't know and asking someone else perspective is just as valuable as not knowing and Googling under the table and then regurgitating what you read. Yeah. And if somebody wants a deep dive, then you're screwed. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything else that you would like to add? Or if people would like to learn more about you? Reaching out to me through LinkedIn is apparently somewhat successful, although I don't check it as much as I should. Worked for me. (laughs) Uh, I may not get back to you for a month, but I will get Mm. back to you eventually, unless you're someone trying to get me to use your hiring firm, and then I will likely leave you unread. Um, (laughs) But so there's that, or you can look through the Wild Me website. I think my contact information is on there. You can email me directly at t-s-t-e-r-e at wildme.org. Yeah. Anything that I would like to add, not really. I feel like we touched on a lot. I feel like you are much better at this than you sold yourself to be, but that is typically the Ah. case with people (laughs) who experience imposter syndrome. So Yeah, isn't it? It's a tough, it's a tough, rough thing, but you know what? You just gotta, you just gotta do it. You just gotta do it. Step out there and do it. And people are very nice. They're a lot nicer than people fear. I think like yeah. a lot of people are just so kind. Like people are so nice. I still like, actually I, I had my first big blunder and it was, it just happened last night where I was getting ready for, I release every Thursday and I was editing, going to start editing the episode for Thursday. And I realized I deleted the file and then I deleted my trash and I was <laughs> like, what the hell? That is one big pile of shit. 
but I did it to two different people that I interviewed. Oh no! And I literally spent three hours with a system that like dives deep into the like dark depths of your laptop and pulls out everything you've ever deleted. And I've had this laptop for four years and I'm like, do I even want to know? That sounds scary. <laughs> but it, I had overwritten the files even. So after the three hours, I still couldn't get them back. So I had to email those two people and I was like, I'm so sorry. Can I interview again? I, I feel like such an idiot. And both of them were like, happens. Sure. I'm free this day. And I'm like, we always make a much bigger deal about it than it is. And yep. you can make mistakes. It's okay. And we're all just trying to get by, truly. Yeah. <laughs> and there's the the whole like self-care, you only want good people around you thing. Just being honest about mistakes and everything, you find out real quick who the good people are. And that's it. Like, then you've got them. They're around you. Your life is better for having them. Absolutely. And then keep them around, right? Yes. Yeah. Very much. They're good people. Tanya, thank you so very much for your time. And right back at you, you were better at it than you were feared that you were going to be. Uh, I think this is a great conversation. I'm super excited for anybody that basically wants to follow your path. I am one of those. So <laughs> thank you so much for all of the advice always. And I really appreciate it. This was fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you. If I could put the last bit of what Tanya was saying in terms of what she wants people to know that are trying to pursue a job in product or a job in conservation, like literally on a poster on my wall, I might just take permanent marker and put that whole thing on my wall because it's so important to just nail down in there in your subconscious, dream about it, eat it, because guess what? folks, so many people will not apply for the job because they don't meet 80% of the qualifications. And she said it herself, 20% sometimes, 20% of qualifications met companies will hire you because you have a teachable spirit, because you are a great person, because they can see your potential. And women, unfortunately, are even in the group for the 80% in men are a little bit more confident in that realm. When in doubt, if you're a woman, think like a man. Think like a man. You have what it takes. You will produce good results because you can learn on the job and you are worthy, right? You're worthy of chasing your dreams and the worst they can say is no. Also, a super important piece of advice there that she said too that a lot of people are really afraid to say is I don't know. So if you don't know something, be eager to learn about it and it's okay to say you don't know. I've adopted that from Tanya in the roles that I have where get asked a question, say, hey, I don't know, but I can find the answer and I'll follow up with you. And it served me a lot better than trying to bullshit my way through an answer. It is much better on my conscience and is much better for productivity. So you can use it in your role as well. Hey, I don't know, but I will find somebody that does and I'll get back to you. And I have to write everything down because I will forget because my memory is mush, but I will write it down and then who it is, who I should probably talk to, and then when I should get back to them, and then cross it off when you do. Also, crossing shit off feels great. Yeah, okay. So what do you got to lose, right? What do you got to lose? But just go for it. Absolutely go for it, please. Thank you so much for making it to the end of this episode. I am excited that we hit number 20. What a fun time this has been. Again, my name is Courtney Heater. I can be found many different places. I have an email address, ynqpod, ynqpod at gmail.com. On Instagram, where I'm probably the most active, that's at ynqpod. TikTok, where I'm not the most active, at ynqpod. Twitter, where I'm about 50% uh, of Instagram active, maybe even a little bit more at YNQ podcast. And I have a website, you're not qualified podcast.com. You can find the catalog of the episodes up to this one there. And you can also find the link for Instagram and my email. 
if you want to just go there for your one-stop shop. All right, for trivia today. Tanya mentioned a little bit about ants because they have a researcher that studies ants and is having a hard time getting funding. And I was like, ants are cool as shit. I think ants are very cool. Yes, I've had ant invasions in Seattle because that's just a thing in the spring. It's pretty easy to take care of. But when I lived in the deep south, when I lived in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, they have these creatures called fire ants and i used to say that fire ants would be the last remaining species along with cockroaches at the end of the world because they can survive anything they survive flooding they survive erosion they survive crazy things and the way that they survive flooding is all of the worker ants all gather up and they create a raft and then they have the queen on top and they basically just float through and then when they reach higher ground they will create their nest again and the queen is safe and able to produce more BBs. And fire ants, this is the, a lot of that is, is good for trivia, right? But this is the main point. Fire ants cause over $3 billion worth of damage a year. And if you are curious as to how, just look it up. Those suckers are crazy, absolutely crazy. All right, friends, I appreciate you being here so much, and I am so excited to bring you part two of the AI technology conversation next week. And spoiler alert, it's somebody else from Wild Me as well. So if you're interested in AI tech, and especially AI tech conservation, that is another episode. Do not miss it. It's going to be amazing. Thank you so much again for being here. I'll see you next Thursday. Bye.